0: Your financial choices may discuss various financial-related topics and thus would like to offer the following disclosures. Lori Siebert is employed by Valley National Group, the Valley National Financial Advisors Group of Companies. Investments are offered through Valley National Investments, Incorporated, member FINRA. We inform you that any federal tax, state tax, financial advice, or information contained in this communication is not intended to be personalized or specific in nature or to be relied upon for your personal situation in any circumstance. The advice and information are not intended and cannot be used as a tax opinion letter nor used for the purpose of avoiding tax-related penalties. For personalized advice
1: specific to your own situation, we recommend that you consult your CPA, CFP, or attorney.
0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. I'm a CPA, CFP professional and AEP on the web at yourfinancialchoices.com. And you can listen online each and every week at wdiy.org or on the WDIY app. Today is February 7th, 2024. The markets were up today with the Dow closing at 38677 The NASDAQ at 15756 and the S&P at 4995 Uh, Tonight, we are talking about investment, income, and tax reporting. A little bit, you know, to help you understand what the documents you're getting look like and why it's important to understand them. So investment, income, and tax reporting. We are live tonight. We'll take your questions. Seamus is in the studio with us this evening. We'll answer your calls, take your information, and we ask you to mute your radio so you can hear me without the delay and we could talk without confusion. We discuss general financial planning topics and not specific investments. And while I typically have a topic each week, you can still ask questions off topic and I will do my best to answer them. The number is 610-758-8810. That's 610-758-8810. You can talk live on air with me, or if you're not comfortable talking live, just give your question to Seamus. He'll write it down and bring it in to me. If you... um, Prefer, you can send questions through email as well at yourfinancialchoices.com. Again, tonight we're talking about investment income and tax reporting. And why would it be important to understand the tax reporting requirements for investment income? Because it's going to help, hopefully, with tax planning and investment decisions. I think it's really important. I can't stress it enough that it can make a real difference if you understand. How this works. Uh, when we think of investment income, we th- typically think of interest and dividends, but it could be more than that. Um, we'll talk a little bit about maybe capital gains and uh, rental income, annuity income, things like that. Um, we invest our money with the hopes that that investment will make some money. And, and so let's talk about what investments mean, but money that invested could be in the form of interest or dividends as a return on that investment that you've made or appreciation or what we call growth. Sometimes we lose money too, but generally over time with proper diversification, we make some money. That's why we invest, correct? And the reason we make money is because we're going to take a risk with our investment. We're going to risk saying, handing over our money to somebody else so that in the hopes that we're going to get a return on us taking that risk of, of handing it over somehow. So generally, how much money we will make will depend on our risk tolerance. And that risk tolerance might be for various kinds of investments we choose and the time we can wait to keep those funds invested. Okay, so we might have a different risk tolerance for different buckets even. So, you know, we might have an emergency reserve. We're not going to take a risk with that, but we might not need some of our money for, you know, 30 years. Well, we maybe could be a little bit more risky with that because we have a longer period of time, a longer timeline. So again, the it, what kind of investments we're going to make will depend on our risk tolerance, which could depend on a number of things, which would include um, how long we're going to keep those funds invested? How you know can we sleep at night? Do we have other resources? That type of thing. So, how much we make on those investments though too um, could be reduced by the amount of income taxes on those investments. So when you're you're looking to make an investment, you, we talked about timeline. We talked about cash needs. We talked about risk tolerance. We also might want to think about, of course, I'm a CPA and I like thinking about taxes. um, We might want to think about what taxes we have on the various kinds of investment income that we have because it could be different. The tax consequences on particular investment income, it's not all created equal. It's not all the same. So now when we think we're going to get, you know, 4% uh, return on our CD or savings account, and we might get a 4% dividend, the after-tax return on those two different kinds of investments are very different or could be, could be very different. So that's why it's important to understand. So let's talk about the various kinds of investment income. We're gonna start with the basic one, interest, interest income, a lot of people understand what that is. Interest is earned because you have deposits on account at a bank, or have loaned it to someone, like an individual, or something like a bank or a corporation. We don't often see loans um, that we make to individuals where we're getting interest paid, we don't often see that because we don't really like encourage loaning to like friends or family or strangers uh, because that would be maybe riskier. It depends. And I I do have some clients who make loans with their intra-family loans for mortgages and things like that for maybe their kids. But typically I'm not seeing a lot of loans made to people where I'm getting interest. Sometimes you'll see it on an installment Uh, loan, if if you sell your property on an installment sale, you might have, um, it's like a seller finance kind of thing, you might see some interest on that. Typically, what we're looking at when we see interest is uh, interest on, uh, you know, money that we have with the bank or like a corporation, if we're buying like a corporate bond, um, it could also be you know, U.S. Treasury. So I'll talk more about that in a minute. So when we're making these investments or loaning this money to someone, they're going to pay us interest. They pay you interest as compensation in the hope that they'll make more money from the use of your money. That's how that works. So I, as a bank, might loan you money to buy a house and I'm going to charge you, you know, uh, interest. I'm going to make money on that loan. Um, And I'll make more money on that loan than maybe I could have in other investments. Or a corporation will sell a bond and get proceeds from that. And they'll maybe invest it in inventory where they can make more money or invest it in, you know, plant and operations to build more to, you know, increase revenue and sales. So they hope that their investment will make more money than what they're paying you. Um, And so you're taking on less risk because it's just a loan and you're going to get a stated interest rate back. It's predictable. You're not taking a lot of risk necessarily with that. Sometimes you can take risk if you're, um, you know, you want to make sure you're working with, you know, highly rated companies or corporations. If you're you know, investing in things like corporate bonds. But you're going to get hopefully a predictable rate of return, which is less risky for you. Um, but you're expected that you're going to get your original investment back. That's makes it feel less risky. The, the, the idea is a loan and you're going to get your money back. So for this lower risk, you get that predictable income, but you're not getting growth typically. Typically, you're not getting growth. Usually, you buy a corporate bond, you hold it for a particular period of time, it matures, you get your money back, and you've received that interest. Um, same thing can happen with treasuries, the federal government. You can make a, a loan, you buy a treasury, a treasury bill less than a year, a treasury note, um, and that's less risk because the government is, um, you know, the what we call almost a risk-free investment. And you're going to get interest income. The government's going to pay you um, a a coupon rate, a rate of interest on that treasury bill or treasury note. Uh, And you're going to get uh, your original investment back. Treasury bills are a little different. You buy them at at less than par and then you you get the, the full value within the year. Okay? So that's interest. We're going to talk about how that interest gets taxed when we come back from this first break. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. We'll be back in just a moment.
1: WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including fee-based asset management. It all starts with personal goals and an understanding of risk tolerance, investment objectives, and the markets. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610 868 9000.
0: Thank you to the members of WDIY for making all the programming you hear possible. Becoming a WDIY member is the best way to support your listening and to ensure WDIY will be here for the next person in our community to discover. Make your membership gift today at 610
1: 694 8100 Extension 4 or WDIY.org. We couldn't be here without you.
0: Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices. We're talking about investment income and tax reporting this evening and why it's really important to understand the differences. And also we're going to talk about reading those tax documents. Um, if you have questions, we're here. You can call in and talk live with us by dialing 610-758-8810. If you're not comfortable talking live, dial the same number, 610-758-8810, and just give your question to Seamus, and he'll write it down and bring it in to me. Um, and it, and it can be about other topics as well. Uh, but we are talking about investment income and tax reporting tonight, and I just explained, um, Interest, and, and what interest is, it's less risky, so you're not always making as great of a return on that investment. We're typically not seeing growth or loss on those kinds of investments. Usually when we make a, a, a loan to someone, we expect that money back, plus some rate of return, some predictable rate of return. That's how that works. Um, interest uh, can be federally... Uh, so, so let me talk about how it's taxed now. Interest income could be taxable for both federal and state in states that have an income tax it could be so taxable for federal and state it could be taxable for federal but possibly not the state it could be tax exempt for state or sorry tax exempt for federal but taxable for the state or tax exempt for both federal and state let me let me recap that in a different way You can have interest income that's taxable for both federal and state. You can have interest income that's not taxable for federal or state. Or you can have interest income that's taxable for fed and not for state or tax exempt for fed and not state and taxable for state. So let me give examples of that. It's a little bit easier to understand because it sounds very complicated and can be. So typically when we're looking at interest income that's going to be taxable for federal and state. Because remember earlier I said you sometimes want to look at your after-tax rate of return on your investment to understand that, to see if you're really getting that great of a deal that you thought you were getting. Um, So when we look at uh, interest income that's taxable for federal and state, we're typically looking at interest like on our bank accounts, our savings accounts, our money market accounts, CD interest installment notes as i mentioned if you sell a property over an installment period of time installment notes is ordinary interest taxable for fed and state seller finance mortgages that's kind of what we're talking about there Um, corporate bonds so you you know sometimes you get that through uh, individual corporate bonds you might buy in a brokerage account or uh, corporate bonds in a mutual fund a balanced mutual fund might have bonds in there could have equities and bonds so we have federal and state taxable interest. That's that's usually typically taxable for both. Where might we have federal taxable interest, but it's tax exempt for Pennsylvania? That would be municipal's, um, sorry, federal obligations, federal obligations like U.S. Treasury, your savings bond interest, your I-bond interest, your T-bills, treasury bills, treasury notes, Um anything invested in federal obligations, federal treasuries, that's going to be taxable for federal, but it's tax exempt at the state level. Okay, so that's important to know. So a 4% T-bill versus a 4% um, CD interest, in and you live in a, tax, a state that taxes your income, you're going to be further ahead with a treasury than you would be, let's say, the CD interest, because the Fed, the Treasury, or the T-bill, or the savings bonds is tax-exempt for state purposes. Okay? Understand that. Now, when might it be tax-exempt for federal purposes but taxable for state purposes is typically what we're looking at there are municipals. So, municipals meaning municipalities. So, you have, you know, school boards, counties, townships that may have to um, issue... Uh, general obligation bonds or some type of other municipality bond to raise money for, um, you know, building in their community or funding something in their community. So the municipalities will issue bonds and then agree to pay you interest. The federal government wants to encourage us to invest in our communities, and therefore we get a little tax break on the federal level of... um, that kind of interest not taxable for federal purposes so we call it munis or municipals are not taxable for federal purposes generally there might be like a little tiny bit of exception and there's something called uh, special activity uh, bonds that that might be subject to alternative minimum tax but fairly simply generally federal tax exempt but taxable um, uh, for fed would be municipals now I said, but it could be taxable for state. How could that be, Lori? I'm investing in my community. Well, if you invest in your community, you get a double benefit because it's tax-exempt for federal. And if I'm a Pennsylvania resident and I invest in a PA bond, then it's also tax-exempt for Pennsylvania. But what if I... Buy a California bond, living in Pennsylvania. I get the tax exempt for federal, but Pennsylvania is not going to give me tax exempt status on a California bond. So that's where you might have it be tax exempt for federal, but taxable for your state if you're investing in municipals that are outside your state of residence. Again, you know, if you're in a state that doesn't have tax, it doesn't matter. But and and where I see this typically is when I, I've had clients who inherit sometimes from time to time. And, you know, mom is a resident of Minnesota. I'm a resident of, you know, California, and I inherit municipal bonds. That worked very well for her in Minnesota. But you know, now it's going to be taxed in Pennsylvania. I've had situations where someone moved and they had Virginia bonds and they ended up becoming a Pennsylvania resident. Now, they had fairly good rates of return on the Virginia bonds, so they didn't sell the Virginia bonds. They were just subject to tax in Pennsylvania. So you kind of always have to split that out, income out. So that leaves that final comment of when it's tax-exempt for Fed and state is back to when it's a municipal from your resident state. So you see how this can get a little complicated. And guess what? Not all of it is reported on the tax document like you would expect. Sometimes you have to dig through the... um the supporting materials, the supporting schedules. Uh, Sometimes the mutual fund companies will, if it's in a mutual fund, they'll give you like a chart of all the different kinds of funds that they have. And you have to kind of look through the list of funds and what state, you know, qualifies for some of this um, tax-exempt provision. So, for example, if you have um, a muni bond fund that you buy in a mutual fund, and we know it's tax-exempt for federal, And we don't know what it is for PA, but they provide that supporting material, the supplementary material in, you know, your package or online if you have everything electronic. You have to pull that out and you look, okay, Muni, you know, XYZ company, Muni bond fund. We know it's tax exempt for federal. And then I I go through the list and it lists every state and you go and you say, oh, Pennsylvania, zero. Well, then none of it's tax-exempt for Pennsylvania. If it's 10%, you know, it'll have the percent that that, particular fund is invested in your local state then you get to say that that piece is tax exempt so your tax preparer would need that information or if you're preparing your own tax return you could use that information sometimes it's so minuscule and so immaterial it's not even worth calculating or looking at but there are certainly times where it could make a difference for example if it says uh, muni Pennsylvania bond fund, you still would have to look because it doesn't mean it's 100% invested in PA. You'd have to look at the um, supplementary material, look for PA, and it might be 90%. Well, then it might be worth calculating that out because then that Portion would be tax exempt for your state of residency. And typically you can also count like Guam and Puerto Rico because they're considered U.S. possessions and those typically um, qualify as well as tax exempt for your resident state. Uh, We're at our next break. We're going to talk a little bit more about understanding the 1099-INT tax document and, again, why it's important. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. We'll be back in just a moment.
1: WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including income tax preparation for individuals, businesses, estates, and trusts. Tax preparation involves more than putting numbers on a return. It requires planning. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000.
2: Did you know your phone is a radio? You can tune in to WDIY Anywhere on the Go with WDIY's phone app. Download for free from the Apple or Google store and your phone will become your trusted radio. The easy to use app lets you listen to WDIY on your phone live and access your favorite music shows on demand. Download and share the WDIY app with your friends and family and introduce them to many choices, real voices.
0: Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori C., where you're listening to Your Financial Choices right here on WDIY 88.1. Email is available for questions at yourfinancialchoices.com and, of course, The phone is open for callers to talk live with me or if you're not comfortable talking live, you can just give your question to Seamus and he'll write it down and bring it to me at 610-758-8810. We are talking about investment income and tax reporting and I want to emphasize why this is important for folks to understand. Number one. I, I don't want people to be afraid of their tax return. I don't want people to be afraid of their tax documents. And why I think it's important to understand and for people to kind of plug into some of this sometimes is that... You may have a financial advisor who might look at your investments but has no idea what your tax return looks like. And you might have an accountant, a tax preparer, a CPA who knows about your tax return but really doesn't pay attention to your investments. They might just be putting the numbers in. So who's going to do that for you? Who's looking to say... uh, you know what kind of income do we have on your tax return? I've I've done a number of presentations called "What Story Does Your Tax Return Tell?" Uh, because looking at a tax return, you can well, I can tell a lot about a person, and uh, you know the kind of the risk they want to take, what kind of savings they have, but it also tells me, um, you know, what kind of income they have and how it's getting taxed, and that they may or may not understand how. Um, tax reporting is for certain kinds of investments, because if they did, they might shift their investments a little bit, how they're how they're doing them, and I'll explain that as I go through the show. So talking about looking at the tax document for interest reporting, it's called the 1099 INT. Just some basic uh, other kind of footnotes for our listeners tonight. Just make sure that when you get your tax documents, you're verifying your um, recipient's social security number. Make sure that that income is reported in your social security number and it's right. Also double check to make sure it's the right year. Um, I've Had parents come in and hand me their kids' uh, tax documents, 1099-INT, if they have, like, interest at a bank account. Well, that's not necessarily reported on their return, on the parents' return. Could be, but generally not. Um, So you want to make sure you understand whose ID number the income is being reported in. When we look at the 1099-INT, there's all kinds of boxes that tell us a lot, that tell us the tax preparers a lot. But why it would be important for you to understand it is, where might there be opportunities for you to kind of review how how you have your investments. So we have box one, which is interest income. That is, as I said, box one, taxable for federal and state if you live in a state that has taxes. Box two, early withdrawal penalty. What the heck is that? Well, if you take money out of a CD before it matures, they're going to charge you a little penalty for that. And it could be a deduction on your tax return. Usually it's not much. It's not even going to probably move the needle on your tax return. Just be aware of it. And in fact, though, look, because I, I want this is another, like, public service announcement, uh, is that you have to be careful when you do have CDs, people, because when they, if you're not paying attention, and they send a letter saying, oh, your CD is going to mature, and it's just going to roll over automatically, and they don't tell you what interest rate it's going to be, because they say, oh, we're going to send you a letter later, just FYI, it's going to roll over and um, just start paying the stated rate of interest at the time it matures, and it's going to reset for like another year, and then you forget about it, and then a few days later they say, "Oh, the interest rate is 0.01, 0.01, a CD, which is nothing." Now, how did that work? How does the bank even get away with that? I just saw this letter. Um, in that case, it might be worth getting rid of the CD, meaning let it take out the early, uh, take the early withdrawal penalty, uh, because you might be able to put it into you know a money market account and make up that money in lickety split time. So be aware of that. Look at your CD interest rates and the maturity and know what the rates are and whether or not it would be worth, you know, um, cashing those out and get the money working somewhere else. If you have those minuscule rates of return, um, Interest, uh, box three is interest on U.S. savings bonds and treasury obligations. Remember this box, super, super important. If you're doing your tax return yourself, you want to make sure that you're entering it in the software in the proper place. And if you're uh, handwriting your return, this is the box that would not be subject to your state income tax, only federal. So interest on U.S. savings bonds and treasury obligations, very important. Then there's federal income tax withheld. If you see that on your uh, 1099, it means that you need to update your social security number with the payor entity, the, you know, bank or brokerage, whatever it is. And that's a W-9 that typically has to be filled out. They may have sent you one in the mail. You had no idea what it was. You thought it was a scam and you didn't do it. If you have federal income tax withheld on a 1099-INT, that's what it means. They need to update your um, tax reporting information, your social security number. There's boxes for investment expenses. I rarely ever see that. Foreign taxes paid, foreign country or U.S. territory. Don't typically see that on an INT. I do sometimes see it, well, frequently see it on a 1099 div for dividend. I'm going to talk about that in a little while. Another very important box, box number eight, tax exempt interest. This is the box that tells us is it tax exempt for federal. That usually means it's municipals, munis. But it does not mean that it's tax-exempt for state. That's where you have to dig into the extra material. It's not going to be on here. So tax-exempt interest box 8 is for federal purposes. It does not mean it's tax-exempt for state purposes look for the supplementary information or description for the investment there's a box for specified private activity bond interest that's where i told you that could be municipal interest that actually is not necessarily just investing in the municipality there could be some kind of a you know co-project and that would be subject to um, alternative minimum tax which i hardly ever see anymore for anybody then there's a box 10 and 11 for market discount account and bond premium. That's when you're buying uh, bonds in between uh, issue dates and maturity dates. So you could be buying a bond from, um, you know, someone else in between dates, and they may have to, you know, pay you some of the interest. It, it's it's too hard to explain. But if, if, for example, I could go buy a bond for um, out in the market for 4%, and you have a bond that only has a 2% rate of return, and you want me to buy it, well, I'm only going to buy it at a discount so that I could kind of be on par with a 4% rate of return. That's where market discount and bond premium comes in. If, if you're buying um, a bond at something other than like what the going rate is now, you may pay more or less for someone else's bond that has a um, a rate other than current market. That's important because sometimes you subtract when you're, um, paying a premium, you subtract that premium from the interest that you're recognizing and the market discount. Basically you're adding, I think back. Okay. So that could be important. Same thing would apply to treasury obligations. If you're buying it, uh, in between dates at some other than, um, current market, uh, Rate. It's about getting the yield that you want. So that's how that works. So very important to pay attention to those and particularly the, the supplementary in, uh, information. So that's interest income. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about dividend income. This is where it's going to get really exciting. So Please stay tuned for the rest of the show because this is where it it really is going to make you think. We're going to talk about dividend income, qualified dividends, capital gain distributions, capital gains, the taxation of those, and why we really want to pay attention. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. We'll be back in just a moment.
1: WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including estate planning and tax preparation, especially for Pennsylvania and New Jersey residents subject to state inheritance tax reporting. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. Welcome back, folks. If you have questions, the phone number is
0: 610-758-8810. And um, we're talking about investment income and tax reporting tonight. I'm going to talk about dividends now. I will mention I'm not going to be here next week. We're going to have a pre-recorded show. So if you do have questions you thought you'd call next week, now would be the time to call. The phone number is 610-758-8810. And you can talk live on air with me or... Give your question to Seamus, and he'll bring it in. And email is also available through the website yourfinancialchoices.com. So let's talk about dividends. Um, when you invest in a company by being, buying shares in their company, so you buy buy a little piece of that company, you buy shares, um, and it can be either directly and usually through you know like a, a transfer agent. You see equitable or and uh, comp you share and. EQ equinity and all different ones who manage that for the companies. It could be held that way. So you buy shares in a company either directly or indirectly through a mutual fund or an ETF, an exchange traded fund, a mutual fund basket of, you know, stocks and or bonds, and it's managed by somebody and they're trying to, you know, maybe get a certain uh, class of investments that they might do, or an ETF, exchange-traded fund, that is also like a basket of stock or whatever it might be. And that's trying to mimic typically an index. So those are baskets. So individual shares you can own, or you can own it through a mutual fund or ETF. And what you're hoping when you invest is that you're going to make some money on the profit of the company so they're going to pay you back a percentage of the profits sometimes they don't um, usually we're calling those growth companies so when we're getting a dividend that's typically value uh, com- you know value stock and when it's we're not getting dividends typically it's a growth stock but the company might might be in a growth stage or they just choose not to pay out profits and they reinvest those profits back into the company um, so hopefully the the price will grow. Even if we're not getting dividends, the price might grow. I'm going to talk about that later. That's capital gains. If we were to sell, we're going to get some growth on that. But for the meantime, quite often people are looking for a little bit of income off their investment. And that is a share of those profits and that is dividends and those dividends are reportable as income and and folks I'm talking outside of retirement accounts I should have set that stage early when we're talking about tonight interest and dividends and how it's getting reported this is all non-retirement accounts because when we talk about what's inside of a retirement account it doesn't almost matter because when we It's taxable when we take it out, and it's all ordinary income. I don't care what you have in that IRA. If you take a distribution from a a pre-tax IRA, 401k, that's all coming out taxable as ordinary income, similar to the interest income, um, taxed at ordinary rates, and that's based on the distribution, not what you have your retirement account invested in. Okay? So interest typically... Non-retirement accounts is what I'm talking about tonight in this context. And dividends, you're hoping for some dividends. And there are special rules around dividends. And this is where it gets exciting. And some of you might already know this, but sometimes you don't realize it and we don't realize the history of it. So I'm going to give a quick history lesson because I thought this was important to to understand. Pre-2003 dividends were taxed just like interest at whatever tax rate applied based on your income level. And in 2003, under President Bush, the Jobs and Growth Tax Relief Reconciliation Act of 2003 was passed. This lowered the tax rate on certain dividends and capital gains to 15%. Then, with the American Taxpayer Relief Act of 2012, the rate was increased for those in much higher tax brackets to 20%. Those certain dividends are called qualified dividends. And that's what I'm going to discuss next and and how to understand the various tax rates because this is where it gets exciting. Um, If you have qualified dividends, they qualify for the long-term capital gains tax rates. And for 2024, if you're single and your income is... $47,000 or below your taxable income, taxable income, this is after your deductions, your standard deduction, itemizing deductions. If your taxable income is below $47,000, it's a 0% rate on qualified dividends. If you're married filing joint, it's $94,050 or less. Married filing separate's the same as single and head of household to $63,000 or less. So you can actually have a 0% tax rate on your income, on qualified dividends, and that also would apply to capital gain distributions and capital gains. So you can have a zero tax rate. That's different than interest income, which would be taxed at ordinary rates. So if I'm in a 12% tax bracket and I have $1,000 of interest, I'm going to pay $120 on that. If I'm in a 12% tax bracket and I have $1,000 of dividends, I'm going to pay zero. Okay? This is why it's important when we talk about, you know, after-tax rate of returns, comparing apples to oranges, really. If you're in a fifth, if you're in, other than 12% bracket or lower or other than the top tax bracket, then you're pretty much going to pay 15% on your uh, capital gains, capital gain distributions and qualified dividends. 15% is still a pretty good rate. If you're in a 32% tax bracket and you're only paying 15% on your qualified dividends, that's pretty good. Because if you're in a 32% tax bracket, what are you paying on your interest income? 32% 32% if you're in that tax bracket. Remember, it's a tiered tax bracket. It's, you know, what's your marginal tax bracket? What's your marginal tax rate? That kind of thing. But even 15% is a pretty good tax rate. And so that's for single up to $518,900. For married filing joint, it's 583750 Um, So pretty high. Head of household five hundred and fifty one thousand three fifty. that's all for twenty twenty four. The twenty percent rate applies at over five hundred and eighteen thousand nine hundred for single people and five hundred and eighty three thousand seven fifty for married filing joint. So pretty big numbers, and this is from the IRS and, and information from bankrate dot com as well and and the IRS is there. Um, resource. So they give an example for 2023, which the numbers were a little lower. In 2023, individual filers won't pay any capital gains tax if their total taxable income is 44625 or below. However, they'll pay 15% on capital gains if their income is 44626 to 492300 Above that income level, the rate jumps to 20%. They're quite wide, these brackets. Just remember, not all dividends are created the same. So you heard me say qualified dividends. Some dividends are taxed like interest income. It's ordinary income rates. So you, you just because you have a dividend, don't assume it's going to qualify for that lower tax rate. You want to look at that 1099 div. That's the tax document. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, the reason some of it can be ordinary income is because it, it actually could be from interest in a mutual fund. So the mutual fund could issue the 1099 div, but some of the dividends might be ordinary because it could be a balanced fund, might have some corporate bonds in there, and it, it, it's, it's really interest. Or it doesn't meet the criteria for a qualified dividend. So some foreign companies don't, foreign corporations, some of them don't qualify for the qualified dividend. It could be that it wasn't held for the required holding period there's certain holding periods that that will qualify for it it could be a a REIT a real estate investment trust that's not going to be a qualified dividend so you really need to review your 1099 div um, to know how to report them on your tax return and why it's so important is because you don't want to miss out on those favorable tax rates and remember if you're doing it yourself you're self-preparing if you're doing this by hand there's a worksheet to figure out the tax on your income when you have capital gains and or qualified dividends. There's a complicated worksheet that you have to do, which is why I love software. I don't have to do any of those calculations anymore. You may actually purchase your own software and you know put in the numbers, and as long as you're putting in the numbers in the right boxes in the software, it should take care of itself, but it's also just a good idea for you as an investor to understand that the various kinds of investments you're making could have different tax implications. And that could be important to you when you're looking at the returns you're expecting on them. So when we look at a 1099 div, again, make sure it's your Social Security, your name. Um, There's a couple boxes, and this this gets confusing for people because there's a box called Total Ordinary Dividends, and then there's a box 1B that says Qualified Dividends, and some people think they get both of those. So let's pretend box 1 is 10,000 and box 1B is 8,000. They think they got $18,000 of dividends. No, that's not the case. 10,000 is the total. 8,000 of qualified dividends tells us that of your 10,000, 8,000 qualifies for the lower tax rate. When you put this in the software and then you see how it lands on page one of your tax return, you'll see that the, um, the total number ends up on the appropriate line for taxable amount, but then on the indented number, it has the qualified dividend piece. So it's alerting the IRS and all of us who look at tax returns that, oh, here's the total 10,000. That does get... You know, added into total income, but it tells us when we see the eight thousand that we have to go do that worksheet to see how much of the ten thousand gets taxed at at favorable rates. And in this case, it was eight thousand. So the ordinary, the qualified dividends are part of the ordinary dividends. They call it to, the total ordinary, um, and of that, the qualified qualifies for a lower tax rate. Then there's a box called Total Capital Gain Distributions. You would only have that on a 1099 div where you have like a mutual fund. Uh, because they're, as I said, that's kind of more actively managed and the money manager is buying and selling during the year and then at the end of the year, they have to reconcile their books and they give the shareholders a piece of those gains that they've recognized over the year and that gets sent out to you kind of like a dividend, but it's called a capital gain distribution. It's not really technically a dividend. Now, in states like Pennsylvania they report it like a dividend, not a capital gain. And that could really kind of sometimes mess you up. But um, I'll see if I have time to explain that. But the reason it's important to understand that line and why you have to um, identify that separately is because that gets reported on Schedule D, D is in David. And if you have other losses from other investments that you've sold during the year, you can actually offset that capital gain distribution by capital losses that you have so that's a little advantage um there then there's some other boxes that you don't often see i'm not even going to go over them just make sure if you're doing you know through software that you enter everything appropriately there is a box that i want to point out that's called non-dividend distribution box three people get really excited by that i'm telling you that that really is just a return of your own money that non-dividend distribution is typically just a return of of your own investment we usually see something like that like in a REIT or whatever, where the they've taken your money, they've invested it, and there there's like a, a return back to you of your original investment. It lowers your cost basis eventually. There's another box that could be important to you, Section 199A dividends. Those qualify for something called a Qualified Business Income Deduction. So that could be important. And then, of course, other boxes related to foreign taxes, foreign country. Quite often, if you have any kind of um, international exposure in your mutual funds or, um, you know, your investments, you're going to see maybe some foreign tax and the foreign country. And that gives you a tax credit um, or could give you a tax credit. Really important. Don't miss that. And uh, it could be a nice little um, offset to taxes that you otherwise owe. Folks, we are Uh, At the last break, if you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. And when we get back, I'll try to wrap up as best I can.
1: We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services, including portfolio management, tax return preparation, and financial planning for the accumulation years, retirement years, and estate distribution. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000.
2: American folk music offers a variegated pattern of performers and styles. I'm Tom Druckenmiller, your host for In the Tradition. Together we'll trace the roots and branches of American folk music from the earliest recordings and performers through today's talented players. In the Tradition, Wednesday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. on WDIY 88.1 FM and WDIY.org.
0: Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices right here on WDIY 88.1. Podcasts of prior shows are also available at WDIY.org under Public Affairs, And on many streaming services, as well as yourfinancialchoices.com, where you can also submit questions. Phone number this evening is 610-758-8810. You can talk live on air with me or give your question to Seamus, and he'll write it down. We're talking about investment income and tax reporting, and I'm trying to emphasize the importance of understanding this information to help you um, in your own investment decisions and, of course, in your own tax reporting, particularly for those people who prepare their own tax returns, or rely on someone who may or may not understand the importance of all this, too, um, making sure you're reading your documents properly. And one last item on the 1099 div is there's also a box for exempt interest dividends, going back to, you know, if you're in a mutual fund, for example, where there might be a balanced fund, but or it might have some municipals in there, um, you might see some exempt interest dividends as well. That just Make sure that you're reporting it, not paying more taxes on the income than you, than you have to. So we've talked about interest, ordinary income and how that can be taxed and depending on if it's federal obligations or municipal obligations may or may not be taxed for Fed and State, and you have to understand the differences there. We've talked about dividends and that there's ordinary dividends, and of your ordinary dividends, some may be qualified, meaning qualifying for a lower tax rate, and that tax rate may be zero, uh, which is, you know, really phenomenal. Um, and that uh, and typically individual stocks individual companies domestic especially are usually going to be always qualified uh, typically Um, but if you have mutual funds some may not be qualified some might be and mutual funds may issue capital gain distributions as well those capital gain distributions get reported on schedule d not as part of dividends for federal purposes and for state purposes it all depends on your state Uh, pennsylvania does treat them as dividends and why i said that could make a difference is you might have a hundred thousand dollar capital loss on your federal return. Let's say you 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 invested in something crazy years ago, and you invest a hundred thousand dollars, and it never took off, and you know you sold it f- for a thousand dollars. Well, now you have like a nine hundred and what no ninety nine thousand nine hundred nine thousand whatever it is loss. Um, it, If you, for Pennsylvania, you have to report the capital gain distribution as a dividend, then you can't offset it against the loss, whereas on federal, it would have offset it. So that's that's a little different reporting for state. You always have to be careful of that. Don't make assumptions. So if you have a capital gain distribution of $30,000 and you have a $30,000 capital loss for federal, you're it's a it's a wash, but for Pennsylvania purposes, you'd have a $30,000, you know, dividend. So that could make a big difference in your your planning to be ready for that. Of uh, capital gains, remember I said when we invest in companies, we're hoping for uh, earnings and or growth, earnings being dividends, the company sharing their profits with us in the way of dividends. But I said those companies may not always share the profits and they reinvest in the company. Well, if they're reinvesting in the company and growing and uh, the value of that stock could go up. Let's pretend I invested $10,000 in a company and, you know, five years later, that investment has grown to 50000 Well, that's capital gains. I've it long-term. When I sell it, I report it on Schedule D. And I, in that case, I have a $40,000 gain that also has those favorable long-term capital gains tax rates that I mentioned earlier. And we report that on Schedule D. And we want to make sure that we report that in the right box, in the right section of Schedule D. They're supporting schedules now called 8949. But if your broker um, or you know the transfer agent provides the um, tax document with the cost basis and the holding period, then it's fairly easy to report and it doesn't get too complicated. You can just report it on Schedule D in that circumstance if everything's reported. Um, the documents themselves, the tax documents for sales is a 1099B, and it will tell you where you're supposed to report that information on Schedule D. So I said you could have other kinds of investment income too. Some people invest in real estate where you have profits from the real estate. Um, Profits meaning rental income, that's ordinary income as well. If you have rental losses, some people go into rental properties thinking, you know, they're going to get all these write-offs. Sometimes you don't, get them right away sometimes they're suspended so don't assume you're going to get to take rental losses for things like depreciation and mortgage interest if your income is too high so there's income limitations and when we can take a rental loss that's considered a passive activity typically there is something called a real estate professional but assuming it's a a passive uh rental activity the income again ordinary income the losses uh may be able to take, they're capped at $25,000. But if your income is over like 100,000 to 150, there's a phase out over 150, it's suspended, you can't take the loss in the current year unless you have other passive income. So then it's suspended and it carries forward until, you know, you otherwise qualify for um, taking that loss, meaning you have other passive income, or you have a Uh, complete disposition of the activity when you get um, income from like a real estate investment trust again that's that's ordinary income so all of these are basically taxed at ordinary rates on income but again those losses could be um, limited so be careful investment income could also come from annuities. And again, annuities uh, outside of retirement accounts, if you invest in an annuity, we call it a non-qualified annuity if it's not in a retirement account. It doesn't matter what the underlying investments are. When you take money out, it is ordinary income. And some people get confused by that too, because your annuity could be tied to some kind of market uh, index or something. But it doesn't mean you're getting tax-favored treatment. You're getting deferral on an annuity, on the growth on the annuity. You're getting deferral if it does grow, but it is gonna be subject to ordinary income tax. And um, typically, nowadays, when you uh, take out money from the annuity, the earnings come out first unless you're annuitizing it. So if you decide, then it's prorated, but the um, earnings typically are coming out first and it's ordinary income. The other thing that happens, if you were to die, and you have an annuity, the income tax characteristics of that annuity are retained to your beneficiary. So if I invested an annuity of 50,000, it grows to 80,000, I die. That's 30,000 of ordinary income to my beneficiary. If I invested $50,000 in stock, in an individual account, whatever it might be, I invested 50,000, it grows to 80,000, I die, and my, my child inherits my stock, that gets a step up in basis to 80,000. And if my kid sells it the very next day, there's no gain or loss on that. There's no gain or loss on that. So you see the difference between, so you have to understand what your investments are. So the 30,000 is taxable if it's in an annuity, but it's not taxable if it's in um, a stock because it gets a step up in basis in my scenario I just mentioned, all right? Big difference, tax favor treatment on those dividends, and tax favor treatment on a step-up in basis on equities under current legislation. So it's really important to understand um, the difference there. Annuities are called income in respect of a decedent. You know, and a CD, there's no step-up in basis in a CD. If I, if I put $50,000 into a CD, it doesn't grow. I mean, it's just 50000 So when I die, my kid would get back the 50000 The only thing I got during my lifetime was the interest income on that. Big difference. Um, So you heard me say it doesn't matter about like what is invested in the IRAs, even a Roth IRA, Roth IRA is income tax-free, it's growing income tax-free. So what do I want in my Roth IRA? Aren't I looking for tax-free growth then? Am I going to put it in a CD paying 0.01%? I guess it depends on your risk tolerance, but why did you put money in a Roth? You put money in a Roth for tax-free growth. I certainly hope any of our listeners who have Roths are looking and seeing what's in that Roth. Um, IRAs, that's ordinary income. So whether I have, you know, $50,000 in a CD in my individual name, or $50,000 in a CD in my IRA, either of those are getting Uh, you know, taxed at ordinary income tax rates. Of course the the IRAs, if I take 50,000 out of an IRA, it's going to be 50,000 of taxable income, but it's ordinary anyway. So I like to look at the geography of the investments Where am I getting tax advantages? And I'm getting tax advantages outside of retirement accounts or in Roth IRAs, I'm getting tax advantages. So you want to be careful as to what your underlying investments are in those uh, different avenues that you can use. I did also want to mention that there is an additional uh, tax that may apply called to to our investment income when we're looking at after-tax rate of returns, but this one we can't really help. And I'm not going to you know, it's, it's something you really can't help, but it really only applies to people with really high net worth. Well, I shouldn't say really high net worth, but high net worth by, by most standards. So as of 2013, an additional tax may apply called the net investment income tax. It's at the rate of 3.8%. Sounds a little, you know, hefty, but it's on the lesser of net investment income or the amount by which, Modified adjusted gross income exceeds the threshold amount based on your filing status. So if you're married filing joint and your page one income is over $250,000, then you might be subject to a 3.8% additional tax on your net investment income if the net investment income is over that threshold. So again, it's 3.8 on the lesser of the net investment income or the amount by which it exceeds these thresholds 250 for married filing joint, 125 for married filing separate, 200,000 for single or head of household, and 250 for a qualifying widow with a child. All right. So, in generally, that would apply on net investment income, which includes, but is not limited to, interest dividends, capital gains, rental and royalty income, and non-qualified annuities. Yes, those might all call, count as investment income. There's some little deductions that can be taken against that, but just just think total. Um, One comment about foreign income, you want to really be careful here. If you do have foreign income, typically if you're investing in mutual funds or, you know, funds through a broker, um, that foreign income is all reported. And you just report it like usual on your tax return, but you don't want to forget about the foreign taxes that you could get a credit. Because if you look at your statement, you'll see when they pay you a dividend that they've also taken out a foreign tax and they submit it to the foreign country. So now when I do my tax return, I, have in essence, have paid tax on that income in the foreign country and I can get a tax credit on my tax return um, up to the amount of the foreign tax or what we would pay in the U.S. We're not going to get a credit for more than what we would pay in the U.S. And there is a Form 1116 where you can take this credit, but there's also an election you can make to uh, avoid the filing the Form 1116 if your foreign tax is less than $300 if you're single and less than $600 if you're married filing joint. So if it's $600 married filing joint, I don't have to do the Form 1116 and I can just take the foreign tax as a credit. And it can add up. So you want to make sure that you you don't miss out on that. If you have foreign income That you know, you have a brokerage account in a foreign country, then there's all kinds of reporting you have to do, all kinds of FinCEN reporting. Um, and you have to be very careful, and it's critical that you do it because there's huge fines if you're not reporting your foreign income from uh foreign sources in in other countries so be careful of that Uh, folks we are at the end I hope this was helpful you can send questions and or comments through the website yourfinancialchoices.com I'd love to hear from people to see if this is helpful see if these are the kind of topics you'd like me to cover and and I'm always looking for more ideas from our listeners next week I'm going to have a pre-recorded show but the following week I will do listeners tax questions in two weeks Thank you, Seamus, for being here. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Peter. Um, Coming up next, we have Tom Druckenmiller with In the Tradition Folk Music. Remember, be proactive, not reactive. Make the best of your financial choices and have a great week.